Hi, everybody. This is Jimmy DeYoung. Welcome to Prophecy Today. I need 90 minutes. If you can give me that amount of time, I will give you the world. We're going to France in just a moment. Ken Timmerman standing by there. He looks at geopolitical activities for us around the world, and we talk about how these current events happening are basically setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. And on today's program, we're going to go to Winky Madad. The Prime Minister of Israel, Benjamin Netanyahu, was unable to form a coalition government. So they're going to have to go to new elections. They'll take place in September of this year. But this is going to cost the Israelis a lot of money. Going to talk with Winky to get some understanding of how this happened. It's the first time in the history of Israel it's ever taken place. And then I'll talk to Dr. Don DeYoung. He's in Denver, Colorado. We're going to catch up with him and talk about UFOs. Interestingly, the media is covering the sightings of unidentified flying objects. We want to get into it with Don DeYoung. So keep the dial set. We've got a lot of interesting programming that you need to listen to, and I'm so glad you could join us today. By the way, we're at our temporary studios in Sweetster, Indiana, the Liberty Baptist Church. We're in the prophet's chamber right across the street, so I'm not going to have difficulty getting to church, but I'll have to do it because it's going to begin early on Sunday morning. I think they, they want to have church in the middle of the night, 8.15 in the morning. Well, anyway, that's the first service. I'll repeat that same message at 1045 for the same people who come at the later time. But then in the evening, 5 and 6, 5 for Prophecy Q&A, 6 p.m., and I'll be discussing the recent elections in Israel, how they all play out, how they come together, and what significance do they have as it relates to Bible prophecy. That's the Liberty Baptist Church, Sweet Sir Indiana, come and join us. Love to have you study the prophetic word of God with us. Ken, I know you're standing by there in southern France. I don't want to necessarily talking about the prime minister not able to form a coalition. But what's interesting to me, after they had to go to new elections upcoming in September, Vladimir Putin came out to endorse the prime minister to win the next election. At the same time, Donald Trump was endorsing the prime minister for the election as well. Interesting bedfellows here in the endorsement of Benjamin Netanyahu. Well, Jimmy, I I think what's going on is that uh, Netanyahu has been on the world stage for a long time. He is a trusted interlocutor. He is a steady hand on the Israeli ship of state. Don't forget that Israel is a nuclear weapons state. So they can actually punch well above their size. And the bringing down of his government by Avigdor Lieberman was, was you know, petty uh, politics, personal politics in Israel. It is normal, I suppose, in a parliamentary election. But uh, you have both Putin and Donald Trump saying, we can deal with Prime Minister Netanyahu. He is a steady hand on the Israeli ship of state, and they are looking forward to continuing working with him. So bedfellows, political bedfellows, come together to endorse uh, the, hopefully, according to most of the Israeli people, the next prime minister of Israel, if he can form that coalition next time after the elections. Well, let's go to Iran now. We always have to discuss what Iran is doing. 
And in accordance with the announcement they're calling for, they're calling for all Muslims to commit on Jerusalem Day. Now, the Muslim world commemorates Jerusalem Day. Uh, that dates back to June 7, 1967, when the Israeli Defense Force took back the city of Jerusalem, reunited the city. Uh, the Jews start their celebration of Jerusalem Day on Saturday night and into all day Sunday. Uh, but uh, the true day is June the 7th. Now the Muslim world wants to retake Jerusalem so they can have their own caliphate. Uh, that's an interesting goal in mind, is it not? Well, that's right. And they consider Jerusalem to be the center of the the future battle with Israel and uh, of their future caliphate. So it is uh, important to them. Uh, what's going to be uh, significant and what we have to watch, Jimmy, is, is whether the Iranians are putting more than just words behind this call. Every year they call for protests on Jerusalem Day, uh, and they are more or less followed. But um, this year it will be interesting to see who actually follows this Iranian call. My suspicion is that it's going to be limited to uh, Iran itself, to Hezbollah in Lebanon, and to Hamas, their allies, uh, immediately in, in the area, both in, in, in Gaza and in Lebanon. I don't think they're going to get uh, a much wider response to this call. If they do, uh, it would be significant, but I think this is going to be just business as usual. Well, that has been the case, business as usual, as you just did mention there. Look at Syria just a moment for us, will you, Ken? Syrian war is really not over. It's beginning to continue to escalate up there in Idlib, and talk to us about that. Well, this is a new wrinkle, and uh, everyone had expected the war to slowly wind down, that Assad had won uh, now that ISIS has been defeated on the ground and their caliphate has been disbanded, spread to the winds, if you wish. But uh, guess what? Turkey now has thrown uh, their weight in, and they are sending large amounts of heavy weaponry to some of the Islamic groups in Syria fighting Assad. Uh, they claim that they are not I ISIS, but they're the first cousins to ISIS. ISIS and al-Qaeda, and Turkey is backing them. By the way, just as Turkey backed ISIS in the beginning, people should not forget that, uh, ISIS was being uh, armed through Turkey. Uh, their fighters were able, if they were wounded, they could be, get medical attention in Turkey. They were able to sell their oil through Turkey. So Turkey has been a lifeline to these Islamist groups in Syria, and the surprise here is that they're continuing to do so today with yet another Islamic group to keep this civil war in Syria alive. What do you think the motivation for Turkey getting involved like this is, Ken? Well, I think, I think the Turks are trying to do two things. Of course, they're trying to keep some pressure on Assad. They want to maintain their uh, position as a player in the future of Syria. But I think they're also hoping to kind of tweak the nose of the United States a little bit. We have been very critical of the Turks because uh, of their position towards our Kurdish allies in northern Syria. They want to whack the Kurds, is what the Turks tend to do, and we've told them not to do so. So by sending heavy weapons to another Islamic group, that Islamic group is, is undoubtedly going to be confronting the Kurds in northern Syria. Uh, they're going to be clashing with the Kurds and fighting for territory, and the Turks are using them as a surrogate to uh, sort of tell the United States, we're still here, you have to deal with us too. Yeah, and the Iranians are still there as well, and with a large presence in Syria, 
They supposedly came there to prop up Bashar Assad, but uh, they have, I think, other ulterior motives. Seems to be the case when you hear the Iranians saying, we are the absolute power in the region. Is that braggadocio, or what do you think is it real? No, I think this is very serious, and the Iranians have uh, built up their forces over the past couple of years. They, they are definitely more powerful than they were a few years ago, despite the economic sanctions. They have a larger military. They have an expansive military. They have this presence in Yemen, in, in Lebanon, in Syria, in Iraq uh, as well, which is very significant. And they, they are, for example, we just saw this past week their satellite imagery, that non-government satellite imagery that shows they're building a uh, new border crossing at Abu Kamal in Iraq. Now, this has always been a border crossing, but they are making it bigger, you know, widening the road and, and making a larger facility so they can bring large trucks and full of, one would assume, weapons into Syria from Iraq. Those weapons, of course, would be coming from Iran into Iraq firsthand. So that's the land bridge that we've been talking about for the past two years, and the Iranians are hard at work consolidating it today. Ken, what do you know about a U.S. official who said that, and by the way, they're on World War III alert, that they have footage that reveals somewhat of a secret Iranian military base. Do you know anything about that? As soon as you start seeing video footage of these secret bases, I guess they're not so secret anymore, are they, Jimmy? uh, (laughs) The the Iranians, for a number of years, uh, have uh, gradually leaked out photos of underground missile bases that they have built, Uh, either uh, bases where they're actually assembling uh, long-range missiles or uh, places where they are stockpiling them. So it's it's not new that they have these, but uh, this one uh, apparently was full of Scud-type missiles. These are shorter range, about uh, 300-mile missiles, but they can carry a large warhead, a a warhead, a one-ton warhead. So they're easily capable of carrying nuclear weapons, should that be the goal of the Iranians. And and the U.S. is very concerned about this. They see the ramping up of Iranian rhetoric. They see the Iranian uh, actions on the ground to attack the Saudis, to attack the UAE, to lob uh, missiles into uh, rockets into the U.S. Embassy in Baghdad. And now that we see them transferring these large missiles to militias in Iraq, Shiite militias that they control in Iraq, at the same time they're threatening to hit U.S. positions. So yes, this is very serious, and it could indeed, there's there's always the possibility this could lead to a shooting war between the U.S. and Iran. Well, and quickly, if you will, Kim, because we only have about 20 seconds left, German intelligence community saying Iran wants to expand their weapons of mass destruction. And no surprise, they also find that the Iranians are purchasing critical equipment, sensitive uh, military production gear in Germany from German companies, as they have been doing for the past 20 years. It just seems that Germans can't keep that door closed, can they? Yeah, they certainly cannot. Well, Ken Timmerman is key, dear friends, to our listening audience as we come to an understanding of how geopolitical activities around the world are setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. Ken, thank you so very much from your vantage point there in southern France. Your key to our understanding. We'll have another conversation next week. Thanks so much, Jimmy. Uh, hope you're feeling better. God bless. Thank you, sir. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we have a Middle East news update. That's going to be given to us by David Dolan. It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today.
How do you like your news? You know, Jimmy, folks are listening to the news every single day, but sometimes they're getting that liberal bent, and we want them to have a different look at the news. Jay, that's correct. I have listened to ABC, CBS, and NBC when I returned from Jerusalem back to the United States, having just witnessed a news event in the Middle East, and hear the commentators over here speaking something almost different. That's why I write the Until Newsletter, and it takes the leading news stories of the month. I give the absolute truth behind all the details in those headlines, and then we look at it from a prophetic perspective. I want to give you the insight from God's Word as to how the political is setting the stage for the prophetic to be fulfilled. And Jay's going to give you the phone number how you can get your free copy of Until the Prophecy Newsletter. Just give us a call at 8-PROPHECY-8. That's 877-674-3298. Have you ever wanted to visit Israel and trace the footsteps of Jesus? With Rick and Jim's VIP trips, you'll see Israel past, present, and prophetic. Our VIP trips are typically smaller groups of 8 to 12 people. This smaller group size allows us to spend more one-on-one time answering your questions and personalizing our tour. It is a very intimate experience. You'll visit each site with Bible in hand as we take the time not to only visit the sites, but to help you understand their importance to our biblical heritage and to our prophetic future. We will place special emphasis on the eternal city of Jerusalem, the most important city in the world, and the place from where Jesus will rule and reign one day. We can also customize our trip for your family or small group. Please call Joshua Travel today and see how we can make your trip extra special. Call 423-821-3635 or visit us online at joshuatravel.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung. I'm here in Temporary Studios in Sweetser, Indiana, just north of Indianapolis. I'll be at the Liberty Baptist Church all day Sunday, a one-day prophecy conference. Looking forward to having you come. We begin at 8.15 in the morning, and then at 5 in the afternoon, a prophecy Q&A, 6 p.m., I'm going to be looking at the Israeli elections the ones coming up, the ones who failed, and what is going on in Israel. How does this play into Bible prophecy? Hope you can come join us at the Liberty Baptist Church in Sweetser, Indiana. Don't fail to have an opportunity to study the prophetic Word of God. One of the broadcast partners that is key to us understanding the key region of the world as it relates to Bible prophecy, and that would be the Middle East, is David Dolan, longtime journalist in that part of the world. And David, I do want to talk with you just briefly about the failed attempt by Prime Minister Netanyahu to form a coalition. I'll spend time with Winky Madad getting really in-depth on that particular subject. But since that came out, there has been two endorsements, I think very unique, strange political bedfellows. Looks like President Trump and also President Vladimir Putin of Russia have endorsed the Prime Minister for the September elections, the new date for the next elections there in Israel. Quite interesting bedfellows there, Trump and Putin. Would you not say that is very interesting? Oh, it is, Jimmy. And it's also very politically significant in Israel because 
Why are we having a new elections? Why did uh, Netanyahu's coalition attempts fail? Because of the uh, Russian-speaking uh, party, Israel Beitano, Israel is our home, led by Avigdor Lieberman, of course, who was from the former Soviet Union. He didn't endorse Netanyahu. He backed out and made all these demands that are ridiculous because the army doesn't even really want many ultra-Orthodox men in it. They have enough men already, frankly. It's no longer an army on the ground that's the most important thing, but your Air Force and other things. And Lieberman causes crisis. And what will possibly happen is Putin's endorsement may just bring several hundred thousand of uh, Lieberman's voters to the Likud. They may switch from backing Lieberman. There's a lot of anger at him amongst the Russian-speaking supporters of his because they are right-wing. They are almost all Netanyahu supporters. But he wants to be prime minister apparently one day, and he pulled this stunt. It's going to cost the country a lot of money, a lot of time. And the polls are all showing already, Jimmy, that the right is going to come out even stronger with maybe four or five more seats. The blue and white is going down about eight seats. So it's going to go in in Netanyahu's way, but it's another few months of political wrangling and all of this. And, And yet Trump's endorsement was, of course, no surprise at all. Putin's was a little bit because of the animosity over the last year since Israel shot down this Russian jet. Uh, I'm sorry, Syrian missiles shot it down, but Israel was operating in the area, and Putin blamed Israel initially for it. But they tied things back together, and there's those endorsements. So uh, it's an interesting thing indeed. Very interesting activity in the political arena. Never a dull moment in politics as it relates to Israel. And I never, that was an interesting angle you brought to our attention. Vladimir Putin possibly trying to steal the Russian vote for Benjamin Netanyahu. Uh, On Saturday at sundown and in all day Sunday, on the Jewish calendar, it's Jerusalem Day. Now we know when we look at history, it was June 7, 1967, the Six-Day War, and on that seventh day of June, the Israeli Defense Force took back the Temple Mount, reunited the city of Jerusalem. David, give us more details on that, and this is a very, very important day as far as the Israelis and their leadership is concerned, would you not say? Well, it is, and of course, last year's uh, celebration was even more significant in that it came during the 70th year, and of course it came just days after President Trump, we just talked about him, formally moved the embassy to Jerusalem and declared Jerusalem is indeed Israel's capital. So that rejoicing still goes on. Now, there is some disappointment, Jimmy, that only Guatemala so far has followed the U.S. example and moved its embassy also to Jerusalem. Ten or twelve other countries, as we discussed last week, are thinking about it, but so far none others have, and they had hoped that maybe five or six would during this first year after the U.S. did so, but there's still talk going on about that. Celebrations, but of course heavy, heavy security, because this is also known to the Palestinians, and around the region as uh, Al-Quds Day. Now, that's the Arabic name for Jerusalem, of course. Iran uh, started this uh, anti-Israel protests on this uh, Jerusalem Al-Quds Day. Now, the Arabs marked it a little earlier, Jimmy, Friday and Saturday, but there was some rioting and there was some trouble in the Gaza Strip and a couple people killed. There was some trouble in Jerusalem. Uh, 4,000 rioted in the Gaza Strip. And there were protests all over the Muslim world, and especially in Tehran, but also in Beirut, 
in other Arab capitals and Muslim capitals around the world against Israel, against Jerusalem Day. But it remains in Israel's hands. It's its undivided capital, as Prime Minister Netanyahu has said so many times, and other leaders, too. And it is uh, certainly going to be a day of heavy security tomorrow, tonight and tomorrow in Jerusalem, but also a day of celebration, and we hope a peaceful day. Yes, and that is our prayer, peace for the city of Jerusalem. But I, I'm really concerned about what the Iranians are calling for. They're calling for all the Muslims of the world to commit to taking back Al-Quds, and that would be Jerusalem. They want that day to be when they set up their caliphate there in Jerusalem. Just a, another threat from the Iranians on the Jewish state of Israel. Well, Jimmy, uh, I think it was on your website you posted the foreign ministry's statement, the Iranian foreign ministry statement, calling for Muslims everywhere. And I read through the whole thing. Wow, they definitely want Israel destroyed. They don't hide it at all. The Zionist state is illegitimate, shouldn't be there, has to disappear, will disappear, will work forever until that happens. And all our allies, and there's lots of them, are out there doing that as well, getting ready. And we have the Hamas leader, uh, Sinwar, this week said that Tel Aviv would be pulverized, quote-unquote, the next time that there was any uh, missile strikes. He admitted for the first time that Iranian missiles were used in that last barrage a few weeks ago of over 700 rockets. He even named the rockets that Iran had provided and said this adds to their arsenal significantly. Hezbollah makes the same threats. Uh, They're moving their forces, Jimmy, by the way, out of Syria back into Lebanon, but they still remain as much of a threat to Israel in Lebanon as they do in Syria. So uh, the fighting there, of course, has moved to the north, and they're not involved in that so much. So it's a mess, and Iran continues on the warpath, Jimmy. But we had the Saudi King Salman gather together Arab foreign ministers, I think it was on Thursday, and he said that we must confront Iran, that they did hit our ships, they did this gas line explosion, and we are not going to rest until they are dealt with. So basically, Saudi Arabia is calling for the U.S. to go to war with Iran. Israel's not openly doing that, but obviously with the uh, detailed uh, report of how they're going to destroy Israel and how great that's going to be, etc., and how all Muslims everywhere should rejoice over that, Israel would not mind if the United States uh, were to push Iran back a little bit, would probably participate in that action. And meanwhile, within the state borders of the Jewish state of Israel, we see that the Palestinian educational system is teaching their kids to anticipate the end of the Jewish state of Israel. In other words, all the activities you've been talking about, now they're training up the next generation to look for that time as a special victory when the Palestinians take over the Jewish state of Israel. And, Jimmy, you know, there's only two countries in the world that have governments and terror organizations stating openly that their aim is to destroy, completely annihilate those countries. That's, of course, Iran and its allies saying the great Satan will be destroyed eventually, and the little Satan, Israel, will also be wiped out completely. So those are... (laughs) Those are annihilationist statements. They have to be taken quite seriously, and they are arming, and the sanctions President Trump has reimposed have an effect. The Hezbollah movement is suffering. The Iranian economy is suffering. They have less money to play with in their terrorist activities. They're sending less money to the Gaza Strip, we're hearing. Nevertheless, they still are a major disruptor in the region, a malevolent force, as the foreign 
minister of Israel calls Iran and also Pompeo and others. So this is a, a situation that's going to be dealt with one of these days, as we've discussed, and it looks like it's possibly going to be this summer. May well be this summer, and the Palestinian educational system teaching their children to anticipate the end of the Jewish state of Israel. David, your key to our understanding of this very important region as it relates to Bible prophecy, we need you on a weekly basis to give us the reports. That's why we always bring you to this broadcast table. Thank you so much, my good friend. We will talk again next week. Thank you, Jimmy. God bless. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, Wiki Madad is standing by. He's going to try to make some sense of what happened and why the prime minister was not able to form a coalition government and the fact now they're going back to elections. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Every believer needs to understand Bible prophecy. Whether you're a novice or a student, we are here to help you. Just visit prophecytoday.com and click on the link for the Prophecy Bookstore. There you will find a large selection of CD sets, DVDs, and books for the Bible prophecy student written by Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and other prominent scholars. While you're there, be sure to check out Dr. DeYoung's latest series called Presidents, Politics, and Prophecy. This series examines how God has used human leaders in general and specifically the last seven U.S. presidents to set the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. This was shot on location in Washington, D.C. and is available on DVD or as a 10-hour audio series on CD. Be sure to check back often for special deals. You can visit prophecytoday.com and click on Bookstore or you can go directly to prophecybookstore.com. Hi everybody, Jimmy DeYoung, welcome back to Prophecy Today. We move now into our second half hour, and during this time, Winky Madad standing by, we're going to him and talk about another Israeli election in 2019. I cannot believe that. Then we'll get a European Union update from John Rood, and Dr. Don DeYoung is going to talk about the UFOs that have been spotted even by military jet fighter pilots in recent days. Very exciting half hour, so keep the dial set right where it is. We're going to be all day Sunday, that's tomorrow, here in uh, Sweetser, Indiana. We're here now doing the broadcast. Liberty Baptist Church is across the street. I'm staying in the prophet's chamber, so real easy to get to church tomorrow morning. I can't use the excuse of crowded highways or bad weather, whatever. But we'll be at the Liberty Baptist Church. Love to have you come. Terry Beischer is the pastor of the church, and he wants everybody in the area to come join us as we study Bible prophecy. Now, we're going to have the first service in the middle of the night, 8.15 a.m. in the morning. I can't even hardly read that without cringing a bit. 
Anyway, they have a great service, their largest service, by the way, on Sunday morning at 8.15. That's the beginning service. And then for the late risers, 10.45, it'll be the same message. So either one you can come to. I'll be there for both of them. 5 p.m., a prophecy Q&A. 6 p.m., the evening service. And I'm going to be dealing with the subject that I'm going to deal with Winky Madad here in a moment about the elections once again in Israel. We'll talk about how that significantly will affect Bible prophecy as it relates to the Word of God. We'll do that from the book of Ezekiel. That's the Liberty Baptist Church, Sweet Sir, Indiana. Come and join us as we study the prophetic Word of God. Well, Winky, you've heard the introduction. And by the way, before I get into the election situation... I guess you just got back from your travels there into Europe and uh, your kind of a field trip as you were looking at Jabotinsky and his effect upon the earth when he was here. Jimmy, that's correct. I finally managed to fly out of Israel and back within five days. We went to the Ukraine, went basically to two main places, uh, Kiev and Odessa. And as you correctly mentioned, the Menachem Begin Heritage Center was on a field trip, seminar, in the footsteps of Jabotinsky, Vladimir mm. Zev Jabotinsky, who was the founder of the revisionist Zionist movement, which was the forerunner before the State of Israel uh, for what we now know as the Likud Party, and I won't get into all the details. Well, you had a great trip, and we're glad to have that report from you. But while you're gone, Winky, you cannot leave home base Without something happening, they weren't able to form a coalition government. Talk to me. Tell me what happened. Well, basically, as we have gone over this many times, we'll probably have to do it more because it's a strange political system uh, that we have in Israel, especially for those of our devoted listeners who live in America. It's a parliamentary system based on proportional representation of the vote for various parties. And therefore, out of 120 members which make up the Knesset, the parliament, you need 61 to form a government. And Mr. Netanyahu, this is the short version, Jimmy, did not get 61. And the main reason why was because he made all the deals necessary, except for one party with five seats, which was the Lieberman, a Victor Lieberman Russian party, which is called Israel, our home, Israel Beitenu, and uh, he refused to go in. In fact, on uh, Thursday evening this week, Netanyahu went on television and lashed out at him very critically for a person who actually was his former political sidekick and director general of the prime minister's office way back in the first, I think it was the first two terms of office that Netanyahu was involved in as prime minister. Well, I do remember that particular activity that uh, Vigdor Lieberman was key to the Netanyahu uh, leadership in uh, as prime minister of the state of Israel. So now what? New elections sometime probably early September? Is that what the plan is? Jimmy, you know, you've been in Israel. Some Many of our listeners have not. Some, a good number have. We like to joke about politics. And so the, the current joke going around is you want another day off, because Election Day in Israel is a day <laughs> off, vote exactly yeah. as you did last time, yeah. which will mean we'll have to have elections for a third time. Anyway, the story is that we're going to have to go to elections on September 17th, which is exactly three and a half weeks before the Rosh Hashanah, 
the New Year holiday, which means we run into all these holiday seasons, Jimmy, and you've been here. No one does anything on the holidays yeah. except, you know, celebrate right. the holidays. So I don't know how negotiations are going to go down then. The news I heard as soon as I came back was that Lieberman thinks he's almost going to double his strength because of his positioning and his big talk. But, uh, Jimmy, it's a long time till September, and a lot of things can change. Yeah, and uh, has this ever happened before in Israel, this type of thing? No, uh, it's the first time that elections have had to be held twice in one year. Now, Netanyahu, I understand, compared it to Italy. Actually, to be exact, Italy, of course, has changed many governments, but its elections have been more or less on time. There are other countries. Maybe, I think, 40 years ago, England had the two elections in one year. France has had it. Spain has had it. And some other countries. But having elections twice in one year or even in a year and a half is actually a sign of lack of political stability, Jimmy. And we don't want to go too far down that uh, route. So uh, either Mr. Netanyahu has to make a very strong campaign. He might even, Jimmy, can I throw you something? He might even try to pick up Ayelet Shaked, the very alluring, can I say, and all sorts of ways of that term, a political personality who was the former justice minister. She was left out of the Knesset because her party did not cross the threshold. He's also garnered five seats, I think it's five seats, from the Kulanu party that ran separately. I know Netanyahu has a lot of tricks up his sleeve, but there's still a lot of things we don't know. We don't know what Trump is going to do with his plan. Will he put it on ice and wait for Netanyahu? Will he publicize it and perhaps cause Netanyahu some problems? Will the Justice Ministry pursue strongly a case against him in the courts for suspected um, little nasty deeds that they're accusing him of? It's going to be an open ball game out there, Jimmy, is the best I can do for you right now. Well, and in fact, I was going to ask you, though you're not a prophet nor the son of a prophet, do you think Netanyahu can win again? Uh, I guess you're not going to be able to really answer. I mean, in what you've just told us now, and we're not sure how it's all going to play out. We'll just have to stay on the sidelines and watch and talk with you about how it develops between now and September the 17th. You talked about a political instability. It leads me to the question, how does the government work until that time, and does Israel become vulnerable because of this political instability? No, not really. The political instability that I was referring to talks about the various different parties. And, for example, to remind our listeners, we had a new party this year called Blue and White that came out of nowhere, literally, banded together and managed to get almost an equal amount of votes as uh, Likud did. When I say political stability, it means will they be able to hold on to their X number of, what was it, 34, 35 seats when they've actually done nothing in the parliament? I grew up in America, Jimmy, as you know, and so sports are a favorite topic, and I always learned you go with the average and the percentages. Uh, Netanyahu's been very successful, except for one, one time, maybe two times, I can't remember now, Jimmy, that you got me on the line here. 99, he lost to Barack, ah, and then he just simply dropped out and Sharon ran instead. But I'd go with the percentages and think that, let's put it this way, Netanyahu has the upper hand. 
But as you said, I'm not a prophet, nor the son of a prophet, and Israel uh, can be a very turbulent place, not only security-wise, uh, on a negative sense, or econ- uh, economy and science and technology on a positive sense, uh, but uh, politics this way or that way. Yeah, and they've always said, and while as a journalist serving there in Jerusalem for so many years, I would say there's never a dull moment in Israeli politics, and what we've seen this last week is absolute tangible evidence of that statement. Winky, thank you for helping us try to work through and understand what did happen and what's ahead, at least up until September the 17th. And as I said again, we're also going to have to hang around with you more often between now and then to keep us abreast of what's going on. But thank you so much, my good friend. You gave us some clarity in what has been going on. Appreciate it. We'll talk again real soon. Jimmy, thank you for having me on. It's a privilege and a pleasure, and goodbye to you. And our listeners. Well, we're going to change to another region of the world. They just recently have had some elections as well. I want to talk with John Rood about the results of those elections in the European Union. And that's where we're going to go right now. He's the man who covers that region, a very key region, as it relates to the end-time scenario that is found in Bible prophecy. I guess the simplest question I could ask, John, what next in Europe? following the results of these elections that just recently took place? Well, the European Parliament elections have just happened. It was very much in line with what was expected. Now a full 25% of the European Parliament, 750 seats total, are represented by Eurosceptic parties. And now there'll be the rush of forming the the new presidential and head positions in Europe. So there's actually a rush from the EU hierarchy to work on who will be the next commission president, which, who goes into office on November 1st, but they want to put out their candidate before this new parliament is seated early July. So we have the president of the European Commission, the president of the European Parliament, president of the European Central Bank, the president of the European Council, and then also the EU High uh, uh, Representative for Foreign Affairs and Security Policy. All these positions will now be new, but it's under the background of this Eurosceptic growing parliament now. I see two main things, Jimmy, here, is that the Eurosceptics now are an unofficial power that's shifting. They don't have power because the parliament is mainly a figurehead, but it's showing the tensions that are going to get worse. And the second thing is now that the Eurosceptic parties have such large representation, they're shifting themselves to a let's stay in and change the EU rather than let's pull out as England. So very important shifting here. It will add to tensions. Well, John, it looks like that there are going to be two major players in the European Union. They're in Germany, Merkel, and in France, Macron. And they're both vying to play a key role in naming Mr. and Mrs. Europe. In other words, the leaders of these different aspects of Europe and the political activities internationally there for the entire continent. 
Are they going to come out together? Are they going to be able to agree? Or are they going to continue to fight and uh, leave everything up in the air as it looks for the future of the European Union? Uh, Jimmy, it's it's ironic because the power within the EU is known as this Franco-German motor. And yet the highest criticisms against the Eurosceptics is that they're nationalists. They're looking for national sovereignty. But the entire EU hierarchy is always a pull for national sovereignty on individual levels. So France and Germany will try to work in establishing these major positions, which we spoke of. But with the splintered parliament, they have very little power. But one thing they do do is that they need a European Parliament majority for the Commission president. And so what often happens is it's so divided that you can't actually have a French person as the president or a German person as the president, and they seek for a a smaller country, as we have right now with President Juncker, who's from Luxembourg. So there is power shifting here going on. It's not just the Eurosceptics that are doing this. It is the top of the European Union. They're going to have a much, much harder time to find what can be a majority because of the new Eurosceptic representation. So the center-right in the parliament and the center-left neither have a majority now. So this is a new situation that has not happened, I believe, since 1979. John, let's cut to the chase on this situation. I know that uh, you're a student of Bible prophecy, a teacher of Bible prophecy. These elections, and we don't have a whole long time because we're going to run out of time in a moment, but these elections, how do they affect uh, the formation of the revived Roman Empire, which I believe the infrastructure is the European Union? How will it affect this revival? Yes, this is the interest that we constantly consider and and monitor. The elections are going to have the effect that the ruling parties will continue to rule, but under much more disdain from the people of Europe. So therefore, it will create more of a division, more of an atmosphere of disagreement, which will eventually cause more major radical changes, which we've seen. The European Union is not a democratic system. The only thing that was a crack in the system was the European Parliament. And even though they don't have this official power, it cannot go away now. So we're going to see changes on this level, which eventually will lead to the need for a dramatic political union. That's the only thing that saves the EU in their eyes. So the political still is setting the stage for the prophetic to be fulfilled. And dear friend, that's why we bring John Rood to this broadcast table on a weekly basis to help us understand what's going on there in the European Union as it relates to the end-time scenario found in God's Word. John, thank you for the report, concise and very interesting and very key to our understanding of the end times. We'll talk again next week. Thank you, Jimmy. Very important report from John Rood as he covers the European Union. Elections just over and some very interesting results, and we'll continue to watch what's happening there. That's a key region of the world as it relates to Bible prophecy. Well, one of our broadcast partners who joins us 
not every single week, but throughout the entire year a number of times, is Dr. Don DeYoung. He's head of the science department there at Grace College in Winona Lake, Indiana. And he's on the road. He's uh, Where we catch him today is in Denver, Colorado. He's there for a big meeting. Uh, Don, before we get into our discussion, why are you there and what's the purpose of the organization you're working with? Well, thank you, Jimmy. Uh, Yes, we are in Denver for um, several days. This is a group called the Creation Research Society. It's probably the oldest creation group in the country, some 60 years old. This is a group that supports research and uh, creation studies, and there's much to do, whether we're looking at the heavens or looking for evidence of uh, the Genesis flood, studying rocks and fossils. We also have a laboratory uh, up near Prescott, Arizona, that we operate. So, yes, we do creation research, and um, this week we're planning our budget for the next year. There are 17 men and women on our on our board, so we uh, uh, hire our staff and uh, do the budget and make plans for the year to come. Creation research is an exciting endeavor. Yes, absolutely. And do you have a website? Well, we do, just creationresearch.org. And, of course, there's a bookstore and the kind of material that we are producing. So, yes, creationresearch.org. That would be a great spot that you might bookmark on your device, whichever one you use to get on the Internet, creationresearch.org. Well, now let me get to the subject I want to talk about. I've been reading the paper quite a bit lately, and even on the News gathering organizations on the internet, they've been reporting the same thing about UFOs, unidentified flying objects that uh, they are reporting about. A couple of Navy jet fighters were up and flying out, I believe, someplace on the West Coast, and both of the pilots uh, were able to get on their radar what they thought was some type of a UFO. So I thought it would be great for us to have a conversation about UFOs. Now, as a Christian, which of course you are, and a scientist, what are your thoughts about UFOs? Just uh, give us the first blush and then we'll get into detail. Well, certainly, and there definitely are unidentified, you know, objects in the sky, UFOs. Not that they are aliens, it looks more and more like we are unique in the universe. But there certainly are objects, there are certainly phenomena that are not well understood, and then the stories begin of just what they are. Actually, UF reports go on and on, and it seems like every few months they kind of, you know, come to the top with with news, but apparently it is an ongoing area of interest for um, for our government, and rightly so. Could we, as Bible believers have a special place that we should go in God's Word to be able to explain UFOs or just the overall picture of with the Word of God? Well, I think it certainly would be the overall picture. Now, when it comes to explaining just um, what are being seen, I think from a Christian worldview position, Jimmy, we must uh, hold out the possibility that, you know, there's satanic involvement here. We know that Ephesians talks about the devil being the prince of the power of the air. So, you know, we wouldn't put it past him to be doing strange things in the sky to confuse people. I know that uh, the Word of God also, over in the book of Revelation, chapter 12, 
starting there in uh, verse 7 and going through verse 17. It's a record or a prophecy foretelling the future of how these demonic creatures are going to be thrown out of the heavenlies down to the earth so they could become very, very active as we look here at the end times, could they not? Certainly. You know, we are aware of this um, spirit world, and uh, if that occasionally interfaces with our physical universe, that could lead to these unusual sightings. Have you ever been asked about uh, whether there would be life on any other planets? Looks like Isaiah forty-five eighteen says that God created the earth to be inhabited by us, we that are alive today, and he would send his son, then Jesus, to the earth. Any other types of life existing on other planets as we can determine? Well, today, many new planets are being detected in space, not, a, not just our own solar system, but operating around other stars. In fact, thousands of other planets. So then the question comes to be, why are they there? Even why did God put them there, and might they be inhabited? And all I can say to that is, the heavens show God's glory and the infinite variety that we see up there. But I think the bottom line, Jimmy, after a whole lifetime of this space age, there is not a shred of evidence of alien life anywhere else in the universe. We look out there with our vast telescopes, and you can get static, and you can see uh, these interesting objects, but no other life. So definitely, you know, there's, um, there's a spiritual part of life, but as far as alien nature, no evidence for it. It looks more and more like the Earth is special in the entire cosmos. And that's one of the reasons that we want to have you on this broadcast to explain some of these phenomena. And it's interesting, let me just give you this little side bit of information. Uh, One of my grandsons did a special paper on black holes, and his research was based upon the information that he gleaned from the interview that I did with you on black holes. But it's so important for us to start training up our children in these bits of information, biblically and scientifically, that work and go together. So they'll have an understanding, should the Lord tarry, and we go into the next generation. Exactly so. And the whole approach, even to UFOs, you know, to have a realistic, sober look at the whole, um, that whole area, instead of going off the deep end with aliens, there are other possibilities. You know, this is the day for drones. And I would expect that our military is experimenting with unusual designs. I hope that they're on the cutting edge of spacecraft of various types, much of it classified that we don't know about. And also, Jimmy, uh, even down to Earth, in our own atmosphere, there are many things that happen that we don't understand very well. Not that they're alien, but they're just weather phenomena. Clouds can take unusual shapes. There's one type called a lenticular, a lens-type cloud, which looks saucer-like. Then again, there are things called uh, ball lightning, where occasionally lightning can take the form of a glowing plasma sphere and even move around to the air rapidly. I just uh, think uh, these objects and probably 12 more ideas we don't even know about, (laughs) and then many of them lead to speculation of uh, UFOs and alien life and on and on. Well, this is very interesting, a neat conversation that we're having. 
as people are listening in, I hope they're learning some very important information. But again, let me return because we're called prophecy today. Let me return to the phenomena of UFOs and we'll probably, if they are demonic creatures out there, we're probably going to see an uptick in this phenomena as we get closer to the return of Jesus Christ, are we not? I think that could well be true, Jimmy, and then you can think about the possible rationale for that to happen. Certainly, um, observing unidentified um, uh, phenomena in the sky, it just leads to the whole idea of aliens and extraterrestrial life and, frankly, evolution, that life started here and started elsewhere. So that may be one uh, reason for such lights. Then again, uh, you mentioned uh, the things in the sky in the end times. I mean, uh, major events like the, the rapture of the Church. Some of these lights in the sky, if they are demonic, could be leading the way to that, getting hmm. people used to uh, unusual observations in the sky. Yes, well, praise the Lord for the fact that the rapture seems to be very close at hand. And, of course, in Matthew 24, Jesus said, You'll see me coming in the clouds. Uh, with great power and great glory. So that's the return of Christ. The two different events, the rapture and then the return. Don, it's always so interesting to have a conversation with you, and I thought when this issue of UFOs came up, I ought to have another conversation. And as things appear that we can talk about, I'll be calling you again. Have a great meeting there in Denver. Thank you, Jimmy. Glad to join you. What a great conversation from Don DeYoung, looking at UFOs, Unidentified Flying Objects. By the way, you may want to re-listen to that. You can go to my website, prophecytoday.com. Go to PTRN, Prophecy Today Radio Network. You'll find that interview with Don DeYoung. Well, we're going to have to take a break. We've got one more broadcast partner, David James. He's standing by. We're going to be talking about a very controversial statement made by John Hagee this last week in an interview in the Jerusalem Post. You need to hear this conversation. It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Hi, everybody. This is Jimmy DeYoung, and I am here in my temporary studios, broadcast studios for Prophecy Today weekend, located in Sweetser, Indiana. We're going to be at the Liberty Baptist Church in Sweetser. Want to invite you to come all day Sunday, a one-day prophecy conference. Love to have you come study the prophetic Word of God with us. By the way, would you answer my poll question today, please? If you'll go to my home page on my website, prophecytoday.com, scroll down the left-hand side and you'll see the poll question. Here's the question for today. The celebration of Jerusalem Day this year in Israel marks the end of a very significant year for Jerusalem. President Trump named Jerusalem as the political capital of the Jewish state and then moved the U.S. Embassy to Jerusalem. However, prophetically, Zechariah, the ancient Jewish prophet, says that Jerusalem, in the last days, will be the center of controversy. Do you believe that that prophecy will be fulfilled, and possibly very soon? 
Now, that's the poll question. Go answer my poll question after the broadcast. Love to hear what you have to say. And by the way, when you're on the website, you might want to check out Joshua Travel. This tells you of about six different tours that we have set for the next year. Love to have you come to the lands of the Bible with us. Jim Jr. and Rick, our two sons, lead these tours. We have a great opportunity to teach the prophetic word of God in the actual location where it is going to happen. Go to my website, prophecytoday.com. We now bring to these microphones David James here at the broadcast table. We have an issue we want to discuss with the body of Christ, the church and Christians across the nation and around the world that are listening to our broadcast today. We're going to focus on John Hagee's recent comments concerning converting Jews. David, last Friday, the Jerusalem Post ran an article that focused on John Hagee and his organization, Christians United for Israel. Now, that article was basically an interview, and it talked about, and there was a very interesting statement from John Hagee about converting Jews, and it's caused me to have much concern. I passed along this article to you, and you had the same type of concern. Uh, but before we get into the concerns we have, could you give us a little bit of a background concerning John Hagee's organization? Sure. Well, Christians United for Israel was actually originally established in 1975 by a man named Dr. David Lewis, and it was a result of a prayer demonstration that he led in front of the White House, and uh, some in that group of about 100 clergy were carrying a banner proclaiming they were Christians united for the biblical right of Israel to her land, and as a result, they ended up meeting with President Gerald Ford's top advisor to the Middle East for over an hour. Then some 30 years later, in 2006, John Hagee asked permission from Dr. Lewis to use the name, and so he revived and incorporated the organization with the support of over 400 Christian leaders. Now, uh, Dr. Lewis did have some concerns about Hagee's theology, so it has caused some controversy in the past. So today, CUFI claims a constituency of over 6 million members, and its stated purpose is, quote, to provide a national association through which every pro-Israel church, para-organization, ministry, or individual in America can speak and act with one voice in support of Israel in matters related to biblical issues. Then on their website, they say this, uh, that CUFI has played a leading role in efforts to curb Iran's nuclear ambitions, hinder Hezbollah and Hamas, their war on terror against Israel, strengthen the Jewish state's ability to defend itself and defend Israel against the anti-Semitic BDS movement. And uh, one of the main events that it's known for is Nights to Honor Israel that it hosts across the country each year. You know, that's a great background report. David Lewis was a friend of mine, and I knew that he had started the organization a long time ago. John Hagee took it over. Well, let's return now to that Jerusalem Post article that I mentioned just a moment ago. And let me quote from John Hagee's answer to one of the questions. He says, Many members of the Jewish community come to understand that we do not seek to convert them. Now, let's take a moment, and could you provide some more context and some background to this particular statement? 
So for the background, the reason we're concerned about this statement is because, at least on the surface, he seems to suggest what is known as dual covenant theology, which says that because the Jews are God's chosen people, they can be saved by being faithful to the Mosaic Covenant rather than needing to hear, understand, and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. And concerning the context, Pastor Hagee was asked by the interviewer the following question, how did you decide when you started CUFI to set aside theological differences with Jews and focus on what you have in common to start a revolution in Christian-Jewish relations, and Pastor Hagee responded with this. I think the Jewish community has understandably been leery of Christians rather suddenly offering them unconditional love, but over time I've seen many members of the Jewish community come to understand that we do not seek to convert them nor to impose our personal political beliefs on the leaders of Israel. Then he makes a statement a couple of sentences later that is of great concern. It is good for brothers and sisters to sit together in mutual love and respect, and we have made great progress in making that the reality in the United States. So I would say this, that the apparent reference to both Jews and Christians and brothers and sisters is something that is normally used by evangelicals to only refer to those who are born again through the gospel. You know, that is the great concern that I have after I read this interview and sending it along to you. I know that I was concerned. I wanted you to evaluate what I was reading. Was I thinking right? You know, some may think that this may have been a simple misstatement or that we're not understanding actually what he meant. But he then said the same thing again, and I think you just mentioned that toward the end of the interview, didn't he? Well, what I just said was actually not the statement at the end of the interview. At the end of the interview, he you could say he actually doubled down and was even more clear. So the last question in the article was, what are your hopes for Israel's future? To which Pastor Hagee responded, I pray for the peace of Jerusalem. I pray Israel continues to thrive, and I pray that Jews and Christians will walk together as spiritual brothers and sisters for all time. And, you know, I guess I tend to have my antenna up when I hear someone say something like this because of my experience with what's been happening with evangelicals and Catholics over the last 25 years or so. Back in 1994, a group of evangelical and Roman Catholic leaders and theologians produced a document called Evangelicals and Catholics Together. And early in the document, they wrote, We together, evangelicals and Catholics, confess our sins against the unity that Christ intends for all his disciples. Later on, they wrote, all who accept Christ as Lord and Savior are brothers and sisters in Christ. Then he makes the, they make the blanket statement, evangelicals and Catholics are brothers and sisters in Christ. So it's the same language, speaking about two large groups of people with broad brushstrokes, as if they were spiritual brothers and sisters with no regard for what the Bible actually has to say about the issue. Well, I've got to tell you this, David, after hearing this, I do believe we need to go back to the Bible to respond to this particular issue, especially for anyone who might wonder if the Jewish people can be saved apart from a personal trust in relationship with Jesus Christ. I agree. So when I start dealing with this issue, I start in Romans chapter 1, where Paul in verse 16 says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first, and also for the Greek, or for the Gentiles. Then I go to chapter 9, where he starts out by saying, I tell the truth in Christ, 
I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ, for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertain the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God, and the promises. Then I move to chapter 10, where he says in verse 1, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Then moving down to verse 9, Paul writes, If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And then in verse 12, he makes a very interesting statement in the middle of this. He says, there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord overall is rich to all who call upon him. Verse 13, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So the point is this, I think. If there were ever a group at any time in history since the day of Pentecost, the birth of the church, who could be saved apart from hearing, understanding, and believing the gospel of Jesus Christ, it would have been the Jews of the first century. So if the Gentiles needed to hear, the Jews also needed to hear, and if the Jews needed to hear, so did the the Gentiles. So that's the gist of Paul's argument. David, I think we need to go back to the question of John Hagee holding what I would consider a dual covenant theology. You might want to explain that just for a moment. But this is not a new issue. It goes back a long time, decades. In fact, I can remember back in the late 80s, early 90s, I read an article, an interview with John Hagee in a Houston newspaper. You might have been able to find that. Uh, But I had real concerns at that time. I still have those same concerns. What about you? Well, I agree, and just a reminder to our listeners, dual covenant theology means that God has one covenant for the Gentiles through the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that the Mosaic covenant is a means of salvation for Jews if they are faithful to that. One problem is that the Mosaic law was never, ever given as a means of salvation. Salvation has always been by grace through faith. But going back to another Jerusalem Post article, this one from 2006, both John Hagee and Jerry Falwell denied that they embrace or teach dual covenant theology. So this became a huge issue back at that time. But I did find that Houston Chronicle uh, newspaper article. is actually from April 30th, 1988, in which Pastor Hagee said the following in an interview, I'm not trying to convert the Jewish people to the Christian faith. There is nothing in the night to honor Israel that does that. He went on to say, in fact, trying to convert Jews is a waste of time. The Jewish person who has his roots in Judaism is not going to convert to Christianity. There's no form of Christian evangelism that has failed so miserably as evangelizing the Jewish people. They already have a faith structure. Then he said, I believe that every Gentile person can only come to God through the cross of Christ. I believe that every Jewish person who lives in light of the Torah, which is the Word of God, has a relationship with God and will come to redemption. That is something that is consistent with the recent article in the Jerusalem Post as well. You know, David, I think that was the article that I actually read way back there in the late 80s. That is a very interesting statement, a quote from John Hagee. Well, let's take a moment and wrap up this interview by encouraging our listeners to be careful when it comes to high-profile teachers. Just because they're popular does not mean that they handle the Bible correctly when they're teaching. And I would say John Hagee is just one example. Would you agree? 
That's true. He has a church of 18,000 members or so there in San Antonio. He has a strong presence on television, the radio, and the Internet. He's impacting millions of people every year. He's written many books. Uh, He's charismatic, persuasive, and influential, but he has connections with the Word Faith Movement, so he has connections with people like Benny Hinn, Kenneth Copeland, Rodney Howard Brown, and many others. And as our listeners may recall, he wrote a book concerning uh, the blood moons and even produced a movie uh, in connection with this theory by him and Mark Biltz and Jonathan Kahn. And here we are four years later, and all of that has proven to be, be false just as we knew it would. So believers need to be much more careful and discerning than they sometimes are, and not mistake popularity and prestige and power as indicators that someone can be trusted to handle the Word of God correctly. David, that's a great exhortation. We need to walk circumspect as we listen to any and all prophecy teachers, Bible teachers, and let's include David James and Jimmy DeYoung. Make certain, Bible in hand, as you hear what we have to say, that we are biblical in what we may be teaching. So walk circumspectly. That's what the Lord tells us to do. David, I think this was a great report that you have just given us. You did the research. We were concerned when we read about what Hagee was having to say. I think the body of Christ needed to hear this discussion. Well, thank you for your work. We'll have another conversation next week, David. Thanks, Jimmy. I'll look forward to talking with you again next week. We're going to take a break, and when I come back, I'm going to open the Bible, and we'll take a look at the book. It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Hey everyone, this is Dave James with the Alliance for Biblical Integrity. You hear me each week discussing current theological issues with Jimmy DeYoung on the Prophecy Today weekend broadcast. We founded the Alliance for Biblical Integrity because we saw a need for an apologetics and discernment ministry that would be an important resource for local churches, schools, and ministry organizations that face ever-changing theological challenges in today's world. I teach many different courses and seminars in the United States and around the world and can tailor the seminars for Sunday schools, Bible studies, and church services, and the courses for weekend conferences of 6 to 10 hours. For more information, you can go to the ABI website at biblicalintegrity.org. That's one word, biblicalintegrity.org, and click on Courses and Seminars on the main menu. You can also contact me personally through the contact page on the ABI website. I look forward to hearing from you. The book of Revelation is God's final word to man and the timeline of the last days revealed to the Christians. This symbolism-filled example of apocalyptic literature can be difficult to understand, especially when simply reading it from beginning to end. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest book, Revelation, A Chronology, takes a walk through the prophetic book of Revelation in the order that the events will take place, chronologically, sharing insights into its true meaning and doing so in an easy-to-understand and practical way. If you have difficulty understanding the book of Revelation, get your copy of Revelation, A Chronology, and let Dr. Jimmy DeYoung aid you in your understanding of this profound end-times prophecy book that God has preserved in His Scriptures for for Christians in the last days. To order your copy of Jimmy D. Young's Revelation, a chronology, call us toll-free at 877-674-3298 or visit our website at prophecytoday.com. It's time right now here on Prophecy Today. 
for us to take a look at the book. Our broadcast partners gave us some great in-depth reports on current events that are happening around the world, seemingly setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. Now, if you missed any of these reports, you can go to my website, prophecytoday.com, then go to Prophecy Today Radio Network, PTRN, and there you can see that we have archived all the broadcast partners' interviews today for you to be able to listen to at your convenience. And by the way, this is an opportunity for you to send this location that you find for all of these conversations to a friend of yours who may well need to understand what's going on politically in this world as the political is indeed setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. Again, that location on my website prophecytoday.com, then go to Prophecy Today Radio Network. You know, the celebration of Jerusalem Day will take place in Israel this week. It's an exciting time, and I thought it would be good for us to focus on the city of Jerusalem as we take a look at the book, The City of Jerusalem, The City of God. Well, I want to look at the past, the present, and the prophetic as it relates to this marvelous city. In the past, Jerusalem is mentioned in the Bible first time in Genesis chapter 14 and verse 18. Now the word Salem is used in that particular passage, but it is Jerusalem according to the psalmist who interpreted Salem as the city of Jerusalem. You might remember this passage. If you'll look it up, you'll see much better what it's talking about. This passage speaks of Melchizedek. He was the king of Jerusalem, but he was also the high priest of the city of Salem as well. This is a prototype of Jesus to come. When you go to the book of Hebrews, you'll be able to find that Jesus Christ will be the king and the high priest after the order of Melchizedek. This is an exciting thought as you think about the city, the eternal city of Jerusalem. By the way, the word Jerusalem is used 764 times in the Bible. It's used first here in Genesis chapter 14 and verse 18. And then lastly, it's used in Revelation chapter 21 when it is talking about the new Jerusalem. The Lord said in Isaiah chapter 65 and also in chapter 66, he said, I will create a new Jerusalem. He will bring it from nothing into existence. By the way, as we think about Jerusalem in the past, you cannot skip over Second Samuel chapters 5, 6, and 7. We see that Jerusalem is the main focus in these three passages of Scripture. Chapter 5 talks about Jerusalem being given to King David as the political capital of the Jewish people. And then in chapter 6, the spiritual capital as King David brings the Ark of the Covenant into the city of Jerusalem. Finally, in chapter 7 of Second Samuel, the Lord gives the Davidic covenant to King David 
which says that he has chosen Jerusalem. He's going to allow the Jewish people to live in that city forever. They'll have a temple there. And one of the descendants of King David, i.e. Jesus Christ, will build that temple and then sit on that temple and rule and reign forever. When we think about Jerusalem in the present, you've got to think about the announcement to the world made by David Ben-Gurion in 1948 that Israel would be a nation among the nations of the world, and he named Jerusalem at that time as the political capital for the modern-day state of Israel. Although at that time, it was a divided city. Then on June 7, 1967, the Israeli Defense Force captured the Temple Mount and reunited the city of Jerusalem. The reunification of the city of Jerusalem, a key point in history as it relates to the Jewish people. Since that time, however, over 50 years now, Jerusalem has been, as Zechariah the prophet described it would be, a cup of trembling, a city where people who control that city would be drunk with power, a city of controversy. But now let's look at the prophetic significance of the city of Jerusalem. It will be the place that God has chosen to dwell among his people, the Jewish people, his chosen people, forever. That's Psalm 132, verses 13 and 14. It is also the place that Jesus will return to, Zechariah chapter 14 and verse 4. It will be the place where he builds his temple. That would be Zechariah chapter 1 and verse 16 and chapter 6 and verse 12. He will then rule and reign from Jerusalem. Zechariah 6, verse 13, he'll rule and reign forever from that city. But let me remind you, there will also be a new Jerusalem. That's Revelation chapter 21, where the Lord uses the word Jerusalem for the last time. This is also where God will be. It will be the city of God. It will hang in the heavenlies, not on the earth. You see, the new Jerusalem is not the earthly Jerusalem, but will be in the heavenlies where God and Jesus will be, and you and I as born-again, Bible-believing, blood-bought Christians will be with him forever. The Jews, by the way, on the earth will be in the earthly Jerusalem. Christians with God and Jesus, Revelation chapter 21, verse 22 in the new Jerusalem. However, until that time, Jerusalem will be a city of controversy as it is today. Zechariah chapter 12 verse 2 says it will be a cup of trembling. That means those who control the city of Jerusalem will be drunk as if they had been drinking wine and they will be out of control because of the fact they do control the city of God. What we see happening today is tangible evidence that the rapture will take place very soon, possibly even today. And having said that, nothing left for me to say, except let's keep looking up until... Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today.